Hey, if you can grab your Bibles, turn to, to Luke chapter 14. Luke, turn to Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> kind of doing a little double duty. Uh, Zach had to work late today, but we still worship the Lord and we miss him. Uh, but we're going to get into God's word and I already prayed, so we're going to get right into our message tonight. Luke chapter 14. Now, I want to tell you that it's been told when Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions way back then and to take over there, he took a bold and decisive step to ensure the success of his military venture. Now, what he did was he ordered his guys, his soldiers, to go to the edge of the cliffs of Dover to look out into the water, to look down at the water below, and to their amazement, Every ship that they had just come over on was on fire, totally burning down. So Caesar intentionally, deliberately cut off any possible retreat for his soldiers. So at this point, they could only do one thing, and that is move forward. And that meant their commitment was basically all or nothing. The martyred missionary to the Alca people in Ecuador, Jim Elliott once said this, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Isn't that great? Live to the hilt. Wherever you go, be all there. Well, tonight, Jesus challenges his hearers, and and especially the Pharisees here, in our passage tonight, and you know what? I believe Jesus is challenging you and I tonight to make a commitment that is all or nothing. And that's the title of our message tonight, All or Nothing. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 14 from verse 15 to 35. We ended at verse 14 last week, and so we're going to pick it up here in this next verse 15 and finish this chapter now. And tonight, we actually have two sections here. And number one is the excuses to commitment. And number two is the elements to commitment. So you can see we're talking about commitment here. And it's about being all or nothing. But Jesus lays this out pretty well to me of what the excuses are to commitment and what the elements of commitment should be. So let's begin with number one in our heading here, the excuses to commitment the excuses to commitment number one in our heading now we're going to be covering a lot of verses here tonight Uh, this first section covers verse 15 through 24 verse 15 through 24 but first of all verse 15 we're going to start with one verse here tonight so it says in luke 14 verse 15 when one of those who recline at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so let's just stop right there and and kind of get an idea of what's going on. This is really the setting. So we begin with another person at the table who reclined. Now, whenever you read that word, you, you got a picture in the ancient times, if you remember, when they ate they ate at a really low kind, Japanese kind of table. And they leaned on their arm. Yeah, So they're actually kind of reclining and eating with their other hand and picking food and dipping it in the sauces. So that's why it says recline. So 
Here's this guy. He's reclined. He's at the table, at the meal here. Most likely, this is another Pharisee that was invited to the Sabbath meal along. Here we see him. In the hymn, there's Jesus. Jesus is there. Remember last time we saw how Jesus was invited to eat with the head, head of the Pharisees, one of these head Pharisees at his house. And, but it was really a trap by these Pharisees. They're all Pharisees around eating the head guy there. It was all really a trap to catch Jesus breaking their Sabbath laws when, we, when he healed a man that they actually placed in front of him, if you remember that. So Jesus is there with these Pharisees. He heals the guy. But remember, Jesus turns the tables by exposing their false spirituality, their false kind of, they think they're celebrities, and their false hospitality. That was our outline last night. And our title, uh, last week, and, and last week, the title was Keeping Up Appearances. So, in a sense, in their manner, what they're doing, they're, they're not really committed to God, right? They're more committed to their self and, and keeping up these appearances, their pride. And it was all about that. Now, in the last parable, Jesus gave in verses from verses 12 to 14. He tried to teach him to not just invite the who's who to dinner so that, you know, they can be invited back and they, they, they run around in these high social circles. But they should feed those who don't have the ability really to give back. And so he ended the parable talking about those who, who do that. Just invite anyone, even if they can't repay you back. That if you do those, you will be rewarded in heaven, which he called, if you look up in verse 14 at the end, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, yeah, when you go to heaven. And he says in verse 14 at the beginning, and you will be blessed when you do those things. So that's, that's what happened last week. Well, coming into verse 15, right after those words, when Jesus said, blessed, you're blessed, right? Uh, if you do these things, if you invite those people and in the resurrection of just, you'll be blessed, you'll be rewarded. Well, those words sparked this remark from a Pharisee sitting there at the table at this meal, Sabbath meal that Jesus is there and had been invited with. So, what Jesus just said in verse 14, it sparks him to say, Blessed are those who are there to eat bread, or basically have dinner. Yeah, have dinner. Jesus was just talking about inviting people to dinner. Have dinner in the kingdom of God. Now, it sounds like a great thing. Yeah, <clears throat> sounds like he's like, yeah, Jesus, blessed are those guys who are there in the kingdom of God. But you know what he was really saying? He's really saying, Blessed are us Pharisees who will be the privileged ones to sit at the table in heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what he's really saying. He's really keen off what, what Jesus said. And with this remark, it only showed the Pharisee had missed everything. Everything that Jesus just taught them. Not to hold like this false privilege and thinking you're privileged and this heart of pride and all that. You know, right away, to me, I feel like it seems that these guys only heard the words that pleased them and puffed them up. You could almost see the Pharisees, yeah, uh, lifting up their glasses, here, 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 agreeing with them, like, yeah, we're going to be there, right? And, and it's all because this man, this Pharisee, keys in on the word blessed. Jesus, like, Jesus is like, you're, you're, you're blessed, 
verse 14, if, if you do these things, and he just keys in on blessed and thinks that, oh yeah, we're the special ones, we're blessed, and that's all he hears here. He keys in on the resurrection of the just. Yeah, maybe that word just in verse 14, and, and he's like, yes, us high and holy Pharisees were the true descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and so you can see this, this response is kind of funny. He wasn't really listening, right? Jesus spent all this time, we saw last week from verse 1, right? In these parables, in these things that he gave to try and reach these guys' heart. And all he hears is, yeah, we're privileged. Yeah, it's us. We're, we're the guys who are blessed in heaven. And so you know what this is? This is what we call today selective hearing, right? Only listening for what you want to hear. And then grabbing that and throwing away everything else. But that's not how we are to hear Jesus. When he speaks, when we study the word, we're not selectively just pulling things out that we want to hear, that support what we want, right? Our agenda. No, we need to really be attentive to every word. I like <clears throat> Proverbs 2.2 2 here, and, and this is the NLT translation. It says, tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. I love that. Yeah, tune your ears, you know, to what is being said by God, the wisdom that he's giving and, and focus in on trying to understand it all. Well, <clears throat> what happens next is Jesus's response. So take a look now from verse 16 to verse 20, verse 16 to verse 20. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Verse 18, But they all alike began to, look, make excuses. That's the key thing here. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go in and see it. Please have me excused, he tells the servant. Verse 19, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused, he tells the servant. And then verse 20, And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So in response to what this Pharisee said was, you know, oh yeah, blessed us guys and everything. Jesus, then all he does, is he just gives us another parable here to show how these guys, you know, your priorities are off here. You're only hearing what you want to hear, and you're, putting off, again, this invitation to salvation, this invitation by God to, to truly have a relationship with Him, to truly be saved, which they think they have, but all that they're doing is only exposing their sin and their hard heart to what God is really saying, what Jesus right there is saying to them. These Pharisees were not really committed to God. You know what? They were committed to their own agenda. So Jesus is trying to address this here. So he gives another parable. And this one's about a man who put together this big banquet. And he sent out many invitations for all to come. And, and, and when it came time to eat, he sent out his servant to bring in the invitees, you could say. Now, understand something here. In ancient times, there was like two invitations. The first invitation was to officially like welcome you, to officially invite you to come to this upcoming 
banquet. And it could be maybe it helps the host know how much food and stuff to prepare and who exactly would be coming. So that's the first invite. Hey, my master, he's going to have this banquet. You know, uh, be, be ready for that. It's going to be coming soon. And then a second invitation, this is when the servant went out, was to then tell the, the people that were invited that everything is ready. It's time to come and eat. So that's how they did it in the ancient times. It seems to make sense because in a world where there's no watches, telephone or cell phones, email, this became the custom on how to do really big, important banquets. So something happens here, though. When the servant comes with the second invitation, right? They already know that this banquet is coming. So he comes with the second invitation. Suddenly, they're making excuses. And that's what we're going to look at here right now. Jesus exposes their excuses to commitment. This, this is what he's putting out to the Pharisees. Now we're going to see three of uh, three excuses, and with the three guys, the three excuses that we've just read here. But number one, excuse number one is this: I have to take care of something more important. That's excuse number one. The second part of verse eighteen, the first said to him, the first person, "I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused." Right. So look at this excuse for a second. He says, "I bought a field." And I gotta, I, I gotta go see it, right? The NLT actually translates this. I have to go inspect this property. Now, what wh- what is that, right? Even in ancient times, you're not gonna buy a property without seeing it first, right? You're not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, put your money down. No. And like today, buying property is a, a long process. Even back then. Yeah, we go through escrow, we look at things, right? We, we, we look at the house and everything. We check it out before we put all that money down. So it's not like this just happened between the first invite and the second, right? This is an excuse, basically. So the excuse only exposed this, that material things were more important than God. That's what Jesus is trying to put out here. Oh, I have to take care of something more important. But this is God, right, in this analogy, in this parable, inviting the Pharisee guys, hey, come, this is important. Oh, no, you know, they don't want to uh, uh, take that invitation and go. And so it just exposed, oh, they're more into their material things more. I read about a study that reported how that attitude toward materialism can affect a marriage relationship. This is interesting. A study showed that couples who don't think money and material was not as um, that important, uh, it showed in this, these couples that their it showed that because their their relationship was more stable and it, other positive qualities have come had come out. But couples who were focused on money, materialism. They had higher levels of issues in like communication, conflict management, the report said, and it put strains upon the relationships. The researchers concluded that the attitude toward wealth was far more important than the actual amount of money a couple had, have, had that actually have. So it, it's that attitude really, even if they didn't have much, if their focus was on money, it caused a lot of problems in the relationship. 
Well, here's the Pharisees. God's trying to reach out to them to, to save them, to have this real relationship with them. But the Pharisees, you know what? A spot in heaven was something to have. Like one of their properties under their name that they wanted. And so it was choking that true relationship with God. So excuse number one, I have to take care of something more important. And really that only exposed that material things were more important to God. How about us tonight? Those times that maybe God invites us to come and spend time with Him. Be in the Word, yeah? To join Him in an intimate meal, so to speak. The Word of God. But do we do the same things? Oh, I have something more important to do. Is that what it is? Material things are more important and so we make excuses? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I got to do this. Yeah. Because of this, this. Excuse number two is this. I'm too busy with work. I'm too busy with work. Excuse one was I have to take care of something more important. Well, this one is I'm too busy with work. Look at verse 19 again. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. So this guy, he just bought five yoke of oxen. Now, uh, oxen are yoked together in pairs, right? So if you bought five yokes, that means he bought ten oxen. And that's a lot. I mean, think about the price of that, especially back then, right? And now he says he has to go examine them. What is that? Like, like he's talking about, well, I, I got to go try them out, you know. I, I got to see if they're okay. But who buys 10 oxen without really knowing their condition? You know, it's like buying a, a used car without test driving it, right? An expensive one. The excuse here only exposed his interests were not really wanting to be with God, but, but doing other things. Oh, I got to go work. I'm too busy. I, I got I to do, do some work here. Mother Teresa once said, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. I like that one. Yeah. I really like that. So, well, to the Pharisees now, they were busy at building their status and their, their, their career. Yeah. So that they would build up their career and, and, and yeah, their position and everything. But they were really neglecting what really matters. Is that our excuse too? Oh, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to spend time with God. Well, excuse number three is my wife doesn't want me to go. We have excuse number one, I have to take care of something more important. I'm too busy, number two. But number three, my wife doesn't want me to go. So verse 20 now says, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now you wives might say, well, what's wrong with that one, right? <laughs> what's wrong? It, it sounds valid to me, and yeah, I agree. I mean, husbands are to give priority to their wives. Of course, not above God, which we're going to see in a moment. But what it is, what he's saying here is more like this. Oh, I can't come because, you know, I, I just got married, and well, my wife, of course, doesn't want me to leave right now. But remember this. This is the second invitation, right? Weddings don't just happen all of a sudden. 
right? There's a lot of planning like now. You know, back then there's a lot of planning going on and everything. And so between the first and second invitation, I mean, he already knew he was getting married, right, at the first invitation. But now all of a sudden, oh, I got married. I, 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 I can't come. Weddings just don't happen. He could have informed the servant the first time. This was just an excuse to get out of coming. The excuse only exposed how he really didn't want to go. And you know what? He was just trying to cover it up with something. Yeah? Maybe, it was put the, maybe it was to put the focus off him and put it on the wife. Oh, my wife, she doesn't want me to go. Yeah? Oh, you know, we just got married. Yeah? And so what does that do? Oh, yeah, you know, it sparks this emotional response. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That's right. Take care of, you know, your wife. Yeah, all this. But then if you think about it, it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. He's kind of putting it off him and putting it on the wife here. It's kind of like how Adam told God, right, after the fall. It was the woman you gave me, right? Putting it on Eve and directing the emotion off of him. I'll tell you, that's what people do. They'll like <clears throat> take the focus off yeah, themselves or take the focus off the issues at hand and say something that will, that will spark this emotional response and, and you're just sucked in there at that moment. And then later when you think about it, you're going, wait, that doesn't make sense. So like the Pharisees, this guy, and the Pharisees put aside everything Jesus said earlier. And the guy's like, oh, blessed, are, you know, everyone who, who is going to eat at the, at the table in heaven. It was taking the focus off them, the focus off what Jesus was saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, blessed, yeah, I'm, yeah, 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 I'm with you, Woo, I'm supporting you, blessed. Many times we come up with excuses, right? to take the pressure off of us. But it's really just a cover-up to the truth. And what's the truth? We don't really want to commit. That's what it comes down to. The evangelist in the early 1900s, Billy Sunday, defined an excuse this way. Excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what it really is. Well, with this... Now, after these three excuses and these guys not wanting to commit to go, not wanting to go to the invitation now, Jesus goes on with this parable from verse 21 through 24. Take a look at that. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled, blind and, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. So he went out and all, but then there's still room in the banquet. And the master said to the servant, verse 23, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So remember, there's two invitations, and these guys said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to come at the first. But the second, they made excuses. Well, here, the servant just went out and invited everyone to come right away. And the master sent them out. So, the, so in the parable, the master instructs his servant to go out inviting basically street people. 
Yeah. People in the lame, people in the alleys, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. You know, it speaks of the, the outcasts of the society, the ones who are low in, in society. Remember, the Pharisees saw themselves as the rich, the powerful, right? The important, the upper class in God's kingdom. The common people, the common people of Israel, especially those who are sick and, and, and all, they were the lower class. So the Pharisees rejected God's invitation, the first invitation. And you know what the idea really is? Is in their rejection of the Old Testament prophets and even John the Baptist, that was like the first invitation. Yeah? The Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And then the second invitation came when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was right there in front of them. Come, come, God wants you. God wants you to be saved. And they rejected that. So you know what God did? God turned away from the religious leaders. And he went to the common people of Israel with the message of salvation. Those that the Pharisees thought, ah, they probably won't make it. We're the favored ones. And then when there was still room now in this banquet, God basically sent his servant out to go out beyond the city or the religious leaders into the highways and and hedges and compel that strongly urge. Who's that? You know what that is? That's the Gentiles outside the cities. So he goes out to reach the Gentiles to respond to the invitation to strongly urge to compel them to be saved. And then, sadly, the Pharisees, they are the ones who will not taste my bread. That ties in to verse 15, you guys. Jesus is saying straight to them, you're not going to have that bread in heaven if you reject the invitation like this. If you make excuses to commitment here so jesus brings a parable to this point your excuses in rejecting the invitation from god will make you miss out on heaven that's what he's telling them here at this last half of the parable you know one day i decided last minute not to go surfing when i woke up in the morning i was i was actually feeling kind of lazy (laughs) and i was kind of i don't want to get up you know, kind of thing, and hit, you know, leave the house while it's still dark and all that. And I thought, ah, thought I'd just sleep in a little more. Well, the 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 next morning, I I went out for a little bit, and when I was in the water, the guys are like, "Hey, where were you, Rick? Where were you? You know what? You missed out. I'll tell you what. Yesterday was the best day of surf that I have ever seen in years. The swell came in and everything, right? And they're just, it's like." Every person I talked to, where were you? Oh, you missed it out. You missed out. Not. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, that, it's that thing that surfers dread to hear, right? Oh, you should have been here yesterday kind of thing. <laughs> well, that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. You're going to miss out. If you keep making these excuses, if you don't make this commitment to God and you repentance and giving your life over and not doing your agenda but committed to God you're going to miss out maybe Jesus is knocking on your heart right now maybe Jesus is asking you to stop making those excuses and make the commitment to respond to his invitation 
He's knocking. He's saying, come, come. We got to lay those excuses down and run to him and go to him and commit our life to him, give our life to him. Let's not hesitate. Let's be all in. Yeah. Let's have our commitment be all or nothing. Well, let's go on to number two here, the elements to commitment. We saw the excuses to commitment. And now as Luke goes on here from verses 25 to 35, the rest, this next section and rest of our section tonight, Luke writes to kind of keep this theme going. So he, so he, he, he brings up what Jesus says commitment is, what the elements are. So take a look at verse 25 and 26. Now, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I'm going to stop there. Understand in the book of Luke, in this gospel, as Luke writes, sometimes he doesn't always write chronologically exactly, but he writes in uh, theme, thematically. So he's continuing on this theme about commitment here. And so he's talking about uh, being a follower of Christ, what it means to commit to that. And we're going to see here uh, four elements to commitment. Four elements. And the first thing is what we see in verse 26. And number one, element number one, is keeping the priority. Keeping the priority. So in verse 26, Jesus says something that really sounds strange, doesn't it? If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you come to me, you can, but you cannot be my disciple if you do not, what, hate your father, hate your mother, Hate your wife, hate your children, your brothers and sisters, even your, your own life. What is this? What is Jesus saying? Is he promoting hate here? Now we know that Jesus will not contradict himself, right? When he says love others or, you know, love your brothers and all that. But what does, why is he saying here? I mean, this is amazing. I don't know if you look at this and this is scripture and, and G- Jesus is like, hate? What? Did he really say hate? Well, you can understand this. When you understand back then, the, the, the custom of the Jews was to exaggerate in a way to make a point. This was the Jewish way of using exaggeration to, to, to bring home this point. So Jesus is saying that your love for God or your love for Jesus should be so great by comparison to your love for others is like hate. That's what he's saying. Your, that your love for Jesus is like way up here, and your love that you should be loving your father, mother, wife, you know, brothers, sisters, children, everyone, even though you love them, but your love should be way greater yeah, toward Jesus by comparison to loving others like your family and even your own life. So, in other words... Jesus is basically saying the number one priority in your life and heart is your relationship with Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. He's the priority. He's number one. Yeah, our parents are important, our family, our children, our wife, our relationship with our wife is very important. But even more so is God. 
That's our priority. So we should love him. We should have a close relationship, cover, cultivate that more than any other relationship. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus basically plainly said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Same thing, yeah? If you love them more than God, then hey, so commitment, the first element is keeping the priority, and the priority is Jesus, and that's loving Jesus more than anything, anyone else in this world. And that should remind us. That should speak to us tonight. If, if things are flipped around, that should say something to us. Okay, I know where I should be. This is commitment. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be committed to Jesus. And that's to love him. First and foremost, he's your first love. All right, element number two is going the distance. So element number one, keeping the priority. Element number two is going the distance. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So commitment to Jesus means to bear or carry your own cross. Now the cross here represents persecution, suffering, pain, even shame from the world. Because your life is committed to Jesus. And, and ultimately, if people back then, if Jesus said the word cross, what are they going to think about right away? Death. Death. So you have to bear the threat of death. That you can die for being committed to Jesus. So to follow Jesus and to be committed in that way is that willingness to go the distance even if following Jesus means suffering and death. That's, that's what it is. That's what it means to bear the cross, that you're willing to go the distance even if it means death. I was thinking about <clears throat> Betty Stam. She was a missionary to China, and her and her husband, and she was executed, both of them, when the communists were taking over the government in 1934. She went, though. She, they, they, they didn't denounce Jesus. They, they stayed there. I think, um, I think the ba- their baby was saved, but I think they... Anyway, they were executed. Nine years before her death, she had already totally committed to the Lord, and she wrote this, Lord, I give up my own purposes and plans, all my own desires, hopes, and ambitions, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all of my friendships, all the people whom I love are to take second place in my heart. Fill me and seal me with the Holy Spirit. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever, to me to live is Christ. Amen. I just hear her heart that she's willing to go the distance. And she did, all the way to her death. Well, element number three here of commitment is counting the cost. And really what Betty Stam says, it, it, it flows right into verse 28 through 33. Take a look here. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So he goes on uh, here. Therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So element three, what Jesus is talking about here to commitment is counting the cost. He gives these examples of those who counted the cost. They're fully aware of what they are committing to or what they're about to commit to. In verse 28 to 30 is a commitment to a building project, right? Someone, a builder, right? If he's going to build a tower, he's going to first count the cost to see if he has enough money. I mean, he doesn't want to just run out of money with just the foundation. Everyone's going to say, oh, what, what, why, why do you do that? You know, we've seen buildings like that where something happens and they run out of money for some reason. It just sits there forever. Right. So Jesus is saying, I mean, when you build something, you're going to count the cost. And then in verse 31, 32, it was the commitment to engage in war or not. So a king is considering, well, oh, I got 10,000 in my army. The other guy, the other king is 20,000. Oh, I don't know if I want to really commit to that. Yeah. I think it's better that I meet peace so you're counting the cost both of these so then in verse 33 jesus is saying anyone who doesn't realize they need to renounce all that means to give up everything if you don't give up everything then you cannot be my disciple so in other words you jesus is like you must fully accept and understand the cost of commitment. If you say, I'm going to commit to you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I want to be your disciple. Well, you got to fully accept and understand the cost of commitment because that means total surrender, surrendering all to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Commitment, the third element, is about counting the cost and fully realizing that and saying, okay, all right, it's everything then you're a true disciple of Jesus. I was thinking about this young boy he, he, who was sitting in church and watching, watching the offering plate, you know, being passed around. And when it got to him, he reached into his pocket, but it was empty. And I, I guess he had a hole in his pocket or it fell out. So when the plate came to him, what, you know what he did? He put the plate down on the ground and he stepped inside. Because that was the most important thing that he could give God. He gave Jesus all of himself. That's what it's about. Total surrender here. All right. So Jesus gives us element number one. Element to commitment number one is keeping the priority. Number two is going the distance. Number three is counting the cost and being fully aware of what that is. And then number four, our last one. Number four, element number four, is maintaining consistency. Maintaining consistency. And this is our last verses here tonight, and it's the last two verses in this chapter. So Jesus says that salt 
is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is all in a commitment. And this is about maintaining that consistency in your commitment. So he gives this illustration that would, would help people to really understand. And it would make it very clear to everyone listening. They, they know when Jesus said, we all know, you know what, salt is good, right? When he said salt is good. It was used for seasoning, right? It bring, enhances the flavor in food. But back then, it was also important because it was a preservative, right? There's no, like, nice Frigidaire refrigerators or freezers, right? So they put salt, you know, on the meat to preserve it. And, and they put salt on the fish, and so and that way it wouldn't rot. And so salt is good. But if the salt lost its taste yeah it's not salty anymore then it's not good you can't put it on your food you can't use it to preserve things and he says yeah you know when it loses its saltiness you can't make it salty again and you can't take that that bad salt and put in put it on soil that means like to kill weeds and and all and you can't put it in the manure pile uh, what that speaks about is is a compost pile and they would use a small amount of salt to kick in the de- decomp you know, when uh, de- decom- com- decomposition. decomposition, yeah. And that's why they were using salt. Then, then it's no good. So he's saying, listen to what I'm saying. If you have ears to hear, really listen here. Remember, we started out, this, the, the guys are just selective listening. He's saying, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. Are you really hearing are you really hearing you guys saying, oh, yeah, I'm for God. Yeah, yeah, we're here. We're, you know, we're, we're representing God to the people. But these religious leaders, no, they're not. They're not. They lost their saltiness. They, their commitment was nothing. Maybe there was one time that these Pharisees were, were really committed. Maybe when they were young. Or maybe when they're, they're really into the, the word and learning. And they, they really wanted to glorify God. But... They got into the whole lifestyle and power and pride and status trip. And they lost their saltiness. Jesus is basically saying commitment is only worth the consistency, really, in your submission to God. They got into what they wanted to do rather than what God wanted. That's what commitment has to be. It has to maintain our consistency that we're continuing to be submitted to God. Someone once joked by saying, my therapist told me the way to achieve true inner peace is to finish what I start. And then she wrote this. So far today, I have finished two bags of M&Ms and a whole chocolate cake. I feel better already. (laughs) Well, we understand, right, that when we commit, we got to, Maintain it. we got to go all the way to the finish. If we just commit for one day, one year, one month, yeah. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm fully committed. But then after a while, you, you stop. That's not commitment. It's a, I think it's a part of commitment we, we forget about. is maintaining the consistency of our submission to God. And we got to stay that way all the way 
to the finish, all the way till Jesus comes. So if you understand what Jesus is saying about our priority, going the distance, you know, about counting the cost and maintaining our, that consistency of submission and surrender to him, then you know what? You, you are a person that's all in and going all out for Jesus Christ. And that's what's important here. No matter what. Yeah? We stick to the mission Jesus has given us. I was talking to someone this weekend. Um, we were talking about this. We, we live in such strange times. Crazy times. Yeah? And it's easy to get distracted. It's, it's easy to get wrapped up into, oh, you know, someone's saying this and the news is saying this or, or this is what's happening in a pandemic or vaccines. It's easy to get wrapped up into all these things that are going on. It's easy to hear something and, and, and even be filled with fear. Like, oh no, no, what's going to happen? Yeah? It's easy to, be, to, to, to stop yeah, doing what God has asked us to do. It's easy to, to not stay committed because there's just so much stuff coming at us right now. But what we got to do is stay committed to the mission God has given us. There's still people who need Jesus. We can give hope to the world. There's still people who need to be saved and they need eternal life. They need to be freed of their sins and forgiven. We need to keep to that mission no matter what. And if it means we got to suffer, then we got to suffer. But we're going to stick to what Jesus wants us to do. I'll close with this. Around 100 years ago, a group of missionaries sailed to the New Hebrides in the South South Pacific islands there. Now, when they traveled, they knew full well that the people they were going to on this island, the natives, they were basically headhunters. They're cannibals. And they also knew that every missionary that went ahead of them they were martyred and killed, basically eaten. You know what the interesting thing is? When they got on board the ship to sail there, they didn't travel with suitcases. They packed all their earthly belongings into coffins. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because they're fully committed to either die for Jesus by, by these headhunters or serve there all the way until they go home to heaven. So this explained why these guys bought one-way tickets and, you know what, they became known as one-way missionaries. I love that. One of those missionaries was A.W. Milne, and by God's grace and protection, he actually ended up ministering there for 35 years. And when he died, the tribe mourned his death and lovingly buried him in the middle of their village. And on his tombstone, after his name, there was these words, When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Isn't that awesome? I want to be like that. I want to be like that in the life and the mission that God has given me personally. I want to be salt. I want to be light. So let's 
do that. All of us. As we come before the Lord, let's make that commitment to God to be all or nothing. Let's pray. Jesus, as we pray right now and we come before you, God, I know that many of us are, are struggling. We're facing a lot of unknown things. This world is getting more crazy. Mandates. What is true? What is not? What is safe? What is not? God, so much things are whirling around in the air. The country is divided. Even Christians are. And it just seems like we're falling apart. Lord, in the middle of all that, God, we don't want to be distracted, but we want to be still committed to you, God. We don't want to make excuses, but God, we want to keep you our priority. We want to be going the distance and accepting the cost of what commitment really is. And God, we want to maintain consistency that the commitment we made so long ago would still be the same today. And it'll still stay the same tomorrow. So Jesus, come and help us, Lord. We need your help. We can try and get up, but some of us are so weighed down. Some of us maybe even stumbled already. But God, come, pick us up, forgive us and cleanse us and Help us up to walk again, to be set again on the path that you've given each one of us. And Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you. In some way, somehow, you will make the way. And God, we will keep going because of you. So tonight, we commit our all to you. We want to be in all or nothing fully surrendered, submitted, and committed to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.